everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Aftershock Spotlight episode, and today we're going to be talking about uh, a series that I really enjoyed from Aftershock. We had a couple volumes, and uh, I wanted to have the writer on to talk about it for, for quite a while because it's so interesting and relevant, uh, and I think it pulls in some really uh, cool inspirations as well. So it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show, Tim Seeley. Tim, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, Dark Red, it's a, it's a great title, and like myself, you are very much a, a child of the 80s. So how much of this story was inspired by things like Lost Boys and Fright Night and those really cool <laughs> vampire movies of the 80s? I mean, a fair amount. It, uh, the char- lead character's name is Charles. Charlie is the lead character in Fright Night, so... There you go. I mean, obviously he doesn't, he goes by Chip, but right. uh, it was named after the lead character in Friday Night, the first vampire movie I ever saw that wasn't a black and white universal Dracula movie. Um, so yeah, definitely sort of inspired by it, but in a weird sort of like, we were watching those movies and I was, I was kind of ne- like thinking about how they, you know, now they're obviously sort of institutions, but at the time they were sort of changing, they were revisioning everything that, that people knew about vampires right before uh lost boys and before um you know uh what's the I, i'm gonna blank on the name of the other one uh, near dark um, right they were basically like you know they were all the vampire movies before that tended to take place like in got you know victorian england or they took place you know they were, they were the hammer movies and all that sort of stuff and they both kind of you know tried to reinvigorate it by changing things um you know, Lost Boys, Friday Night, uh, and Near Dark, I think being my favorites. So I was watching it and just thinking, I had worked on Lost Boys previously, so I, I was pretty familiar, but my thinking was kind of like, well, what's the modern day equivalent of this? If, if you know, those movies were sort of updating vampires to make them sort of 80s, how do we update vampires to make them 2010s, you know, 2020s uh, at least? So my thinking was like vampires would be sort of bitter and they would live in the rural areas and they'd be pissed that they were, you know, kind of forgotten uh, as an obvious sort of, you know, uh, tracing to, of reality, right? It's kind of, that, that's where we are as a country. We have this people who feel like they've been left behind, the country's moved down behind without them. So I want to tell that kind of story, but through the lens of this kind of metaphorical vampire thing, which was, I think, what they did with Lost Boys and Near Dark and, um, and uh, Fright Night. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and especially Lost Boys, because that's the one that really resonated for me. Um, and it's so interesting in the movie because it's not I feel like in that movie, you don't realize it, how it's sort of just accepted uh, for a certain segment of population that vampires exist and they are in the background. It's not until that scene where the, the grandfather comes into the kitchen and he, you know, he op- opens the fridge, takes out a drink and he says to his, his grandsons, that's what I never could stand about Santa Carla, all the goddamn vampires, you know, like it's just a thing, you know, like traffic or, uh, you know, tourism or whatever, whatever particular thing you don't like about where you live. Um, and that's really the background of the story that you've created here. Like, it's just like you said, it's just a part of life. Um, it may be more on the fringes. They even call the vampires, the fringers, the ones that live out in those rural areas. And it's just so matter of fact. Uh, but to your point, like you said, you, you decided to, to flip it around and, and bring in some of those ideas of how divided we really are and use 
the vampire uh, myth, you know, about hiding in the shadows and feeling separated. Um, and, and obviously when this came out, that existed, but then it really ramped up, as you know, over the last 18 yeah. months with the election. Yeah, yeah. So how, how long before kind of the, just the, and it's, it's not that it wasn't there, but the former guy kind of amplified it. How much of that played in, were you developing it even before kind of that yeah. era and how much of that era like allow you to turn the volume up or how, how much did you feel like we really do need to get these ideas out in the open and start talking about them? I mean, I think it started when I was working on revival because, um, you know, going back and that's, you know, almost 10 years ago at this point, but you know, one of the early things that we talked about revival was that we wanted to have this sort of, uh, you know, the, the, how rural people actually think and how, cause I came from those places. I grew up in, I live in Chicago now and I have for 20 years, but, but I did grow up in those places and I go back to those places all the time. And we had a character in revival who was based on a real uh, person to some degree, because there was this sort of militia in my hometown when I was a kid and, you know, the posse comitatus and you can look at stuff up, but there's always been this sort of like bitter, angry, anti-government sort of resentment in those areas. I, you know, I grew up around it. Uh, we had a guy uh, when I was a kid who um, you know, was killed uh, by one of those guys, like a cop that we knew when we were kids, because um, he you know, went out to pick up a goose that had gotten out of the guy's farm. The guy thought his farm was being invaded by anti-government or by the government. So he killed him. And, and so like that has always been part of my existence was this resistance to like this weird American belief that, you know, that government is all government is tyranny. And, and you know, uh, which so I really wanted to sort of start exploring that stuff, even with revival back then. Um, but, you know, obviously with with uh, with Trump, it, part of the point, the thing he was able to ride was he just told those people they had a right to be angry. No one had ever told them that before. Um, and, you know, to some degree, they do. I think um, they they are left behind by some things, not by minorities or by liberals. They're left behind by giant corporations who move their factories to Mexico or India. Um, but they don't blame those things. So so to me, that was always this sort of I could see their frustration and I understood it. But I also was like, you're blaming the wrong thing. And so to some degree, this was also a little bit about my grandfather who lived in my hometown uh, his whole life and it was never bitter. Uh, and so I kind of combined some things about Chip with my grandfather. Um, the World War II story comes from my grandpa. Uh, and that's a true story, except for the vampire part. Um, and just kind of, it was just, you know, trying to understand why my grandfather never felt that way. Uh, never voted Republican in his life, never, you know, never joined a militia, uh, served in the military. And, and what happened to the other people? What made them so angry? You know, it was kind of a, a thing I felt like I had to understand. And do you feel like in working through the process of telling this story that you did come to a better understanding? Because I still sort of don't understand. To me, it you can all boil it down to sort of a, a lack of empathy and a lack of um, of open mindedness that really is all based in fear. Right. Like they're yeah. they've like felt. Shame. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it really does come down to that. There's a you know, there's a sort of belief in these small towns that this is the real America. I, I grew up in a town like that. Chicago was about four and a half hours away from me when I was a kid. And we would go there sometimes, but going to Chicago when I was a kid 
like before I was 13, when I started walking around by myself and my parents, I don't think they tried to do this, but, but there was this sort of thing that Chicago was a scary place that, you know, we, we, we could enjoy it, but we could never truly understand it. It was this weird, you know, city people were weird and they did weird stuff and you didn't want to drive there. And if you got lost, you would end up in a bad neighborhood and all this sort of, in, in the news, you know, our local news, like the only thing you ever heard about big cities was murder. And so like, you know, I, I understand that they have been conditioned to believe something untrue. And I, when I first went to New York City, when I was uh, in my early 20s like for an internship at Marvel Comics, you know, I lived in New York City for a summer. And I remember being surprised that like, you know, at three o'clock in the morning in New York City, little old ladies would walk their dogs, you know, like it's just a place people live. It's not, it's, you know, the eighties spent all this time telling us that it was this war zone and that like, you know, all those kind of exploitation movies that made like <laughs> inner city, this, you know, war zone and people were dying left and right. It's like, you go, there's just a place people live. Of course it is. Right. Um, it's a, you know, it, it's weird that that was a revelation to me at like 19 or something. Right. But that's how it is in the rural places. That's what you think happens. Uh, and so, you know, this idea that those things that you believe are terrifying would encroach on your world, which is safe, makes you afraid. And that's the fault of news media, for sure. And that's the fault of politicians who ride that kind of fear, like Trump and uh, all those other kind of crappy ones in Wisconsin, for sure. And so that's caused this like weird rift. And I, you know, I kind of felt like I had to talk about it because I, I come from both sides, right? Like I grew up in those places. I know what it's like and I know those people aren't evil. Uh, I just know they're afraid and they, and no one is telling them the truth. You know, like they, they have no idea what it's like to, that like my house here in Chicago is quiet and nice and I have nice neighbors and I've never even seen a crime. And you know, like I, when I lived in my hometown, I knew somebody who was murdered. I've lived here for 20 years. I've never met anybody who, I don't know anybody's been murdered. So. <laughs> It's just this weird like communication that you have to have that I think people aren't getting. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, it goes to close-mindedness or, or really, and, and even with social media, right, and the internet, we know the world is smaller than it's ever been. But people, they put themselves in echo chambers, you know, like to like. And then it just sort of, in, in that way, even though we, we do have the opportunity and the potential to be exposed to different ideas and different opinions instead what's happened is it's actually gone the other way because now we're just more connected and and if you look for it you can certainly find someone who uh, has the same beliefs as you and then it just yeah. sort of gets magnified yep. um Absolutely. but talk a little bit about the idea of of the myth of the vampire um and what you felt made it such a perfect character um and and sort of idea to compare to the this idea of, of separateness and, and fear of being left behind and and that divisiveness. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that I think end up working out so well. One is that thing you just mentioned. It's that, you know, this idea that if you lived for a really long time that you might not, you wouldn't be able to change. So, you know, Chip is locked in this view of the world that that is long gone and, and, and maybe was never real. Uh, and so there's, you know, there's this sort of anger to him that, I kind of felt like I could see in these places, these, you know, in these towns and, and so I sort of made Chip like the symbol, like the living personification of, of that view that like, oh, the world has changed and it's much worse and we used to do it better, you know, because he can't, he sort of refuses to change. But it's also the thing that let those people sort of survive 
World War II, which was clearly like the most sort of devastating thing in our history, I guess, except for the pandemic now, I guess beats it. But uh, <laughs> like just this, you know, that they, they survived that by not changing, right? They, they were just like, no, we, we will soldier on and we will fight this. And, and you know, America's got to be this thing. So, you know, that, that idea of not being able to change. And then this, this sort of thing that I always think is interesting about vampires, like, you know, in most stuff, the, the pursuit of blood is kind of the, obviously the scary part of this, but like what I've kind of started thinking about lately is like just how hard this would be, right? It's, it's you know, you can't move around much during the day. Uh, or, you know, so you have only as far as you can travel at night and get back, right? And you've got to get some blood and, and it's the only thing you need. It's the only thing you can survive on, but uh, everyone who has it around you has it, but you have to be careful what you do with it. So like, they can't just go to the store. It's all about this sort of, you know, it's, it's assets. It's like vampires have this one thing they need and it's the hardest thing to get. <laughs> so, you know, and that's kind of, I think to some degree, something I can, you know, you and I would both say compared to, you know, even 40, 30 years ago, the people in those rural places are living pretty good. But compared to what they see on TV and what they see the rich have and what they feel like they deserve, it's not good. And they don't have good insurance and they don't have good health care. And they, you know, like all these things that that we take for granted, like this is what makes them angry. <laughs> so and they're kind of justified, you know, like the, you know, the idea of like the, you know, the opioid crisis where people just took advantage of, of these people's pain. You know, and, and that wasn't the government and that wasn't uh, liberals and it wasn't uh, minorities. It was pharmaceutical companies. You know, it's like they were taken advantage of. They were exploited. They were they were drained. Their assets were taken away uh, in the form of money to, to buy these things they were addicted to. And, and so you can see why that would be, you know, it's, it, I can see the metaphor in my head so clearly for the vampirism thing, you know, as like just they just need this one thing and we, and we, we can't supply that to them. Yeah, well, I think it speaks a lot to the wealth disparity. You know, there's that whole aspect of it, too. You know, you want to blame somebody and I don't blame somebody who's a billionaire. But at the same time, you know, if Jeff Bezos has enough money that he could solve a lot of problems, he's got more money than he could possibly spend in his lifetime. Like, what are we doing? Why aren't these corporations paying their fair share? You know, like if I sit and think about it, it it starts to really bother me because, you know, it, the wealth disparity in this country has gotten so bad over the last 30 to 40 years. And in a way you can look at, at vampires and it's, it's that thing that you're talking about. If you equate, you know, blood to money, it's not easy for them to get. And, and the other part of it is that they feel disenfranchised because they are, uh, Chip himself mentions it um, when he's talking to some of the townspeople who, you know, discovered and, you know, he kind of tells them, Hey, yeah, they're vampires. Well, you have power. Why don't you just rise up? You know? And they're like, uh, we're so outnumbered, you know, it's like one yeah. to maybe a hundred thousand. So if you equate the blood to like actual monetary wealth in terms of supply and demand, yeah, I think the metaphor works very well. Um, but as great as the series is, it does reflect reality and there are no easy answers, right? Yeah. I mean, and then also, I, you know, there's one thing I sort of learned is I think you have to, I, I don't ever do a story that's not about something. I'm always about something, but, but like, I think you have to hide to some degree what it's about in entertainment, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. you know, Near Dark is clearly about something. Uh, you know, uh, Friday Night is, is about something. Those are good horror movies, but they're entertaining movies, you know? So 
so this this has to be you know a cool vampire story about like a bitter cranky vampire having to defend his town from nazi vampires like it has to be that and fun um but you know it's also i hope that it it sort of makes it right it answer ask some questions because I, you're right i can't answer them i can just make you think about them hopefully uh you know and, and uh maybe next time you're presented with that problem you'll think of that crazy vampire comic about the you know world war ii vampire and, and like you know ask some questions of your own yeah that, i think that's what's important is to you know start that that dialogue and then in in the second volume it, it's not maybe explored as as much because really there's two, for me there's two ideas in the second volume this idea of uh immigration and you know wanting to to find some a place to belong that's safe you know and i think whether it's it's you know some sort of where people werewolf werecat you know whatever um they're no different than the rest of us they just want a place to to kind of live you know not asking for a lot just to not just to have the right to survive basically right. um but there's also the idea that that chip goes and does interact with those you know city vampires um and tries to really tries to provide some answers, you know, like, Hey, let's all think about this a little bit, you know, and it's, it's extending sort of that the, a metaphor of extending the hand across the aisle and saying, if we want to solve this, we've, we really need to work together. So yeah, um, he, he clearly does not want to, you know, right, exactly. Right? Like, but he, and these are people that he, he is angry with and bitter about, but right. you know, compared to the other problems that they have, you know, that, yeah, that's probably not a subtle sort of thing for this one too. But and I definitely wanted to play the, you know, the, the city vampires is like, and, and, you know, again, everything is about something. So you don't have to see this in there if you don't want to, but I was definitely sort of thinking of it as like these, the, this idea of the urban elite liberal, like the, you know, these people that are sort of like, you know, super lefty, but, but in actuality, they really aren't. They, they, they like, they may be sort of kinky and they may be, um, open-minded and they may be like socially liberal but like they don't help people right yeah, like they're, in, they're insulated right and, and and i think there's that sort of stereotype about city people which i haven't seen that much but i know it does exist but then the sort of the where people being the ones that are like actually these sort of functioning leftists they like live in this sort of you know <laughs> sort of uh commune to some degree and they and like they're the actual ones but they don't have they don't have any assets, right? Like they have, they have very little and they're not supported. So I'm, you know, again, sort of making everything hopefully not too blatantly political, but also like, of course, that's a part of the story, you know? Yeah. And I, I got that as well, because like I said, it, it felt like, you know, these city vampires do see themselves as, as, you know, well, we're doing the right thing. You yeah. Know, they're, because... they're super woke, right? Like, right. They're so woke, yeah. but you're not doing anything, which I find, the most frustrating thing about modern politics is this, all this sort of like demonstrative wokeism where it's like, yeah, but did you, you know, did you go and try to help and did you vote for the candidate that was going to provide people with health care? Like, did you do any of those things or did you just demonstrate, you know? And I think that's, right. that's kind of the thing of the two things that frustrates me. It's that, you know, just sort of arrogant, ignorant um, anger, like with no, no, that, that like fear of conservatism. And then that the other side of it is just that like, you know, demonstrative wokeness of which I don't think you're actually doing anything. I, I think you're you're just showing people how, you know, that you've got this like unused um, sociology degree, right? Like, like it's just 
that, like, and hopefully that parody is is evident there that it's it's me poking a little bit of fun at at, at both those things. Yeah, and that, and that's true because yeah, just because you're aware of the problem and you acknowledge that it exists, but you're surrounding yourself again, talk about the idea of echo chamber. You're surrounding yourself with people that also, uh, you know understand that it exists and know it needs to change, but you're right. They're not doing anything because, but it is scary. And so we've got to just constant, we just got to just look inward instead of looking outward, as opposed to the where people that really are, like you said, you know, they're the, the activists, right? They're the ones out there doing, but they have so little that they can't do what they need to do. As opposed to if the, if the elites had, had that sort of motivation to change, then I think change would come quicker. Yeah, agreed. And, I, and also, I think it's, you know, if politics became more about more about act, like doing something rather than being part of something, I think that what we've got now is this sort of like, it's a part of your social identity, right? Like, not getting vaccinated is now a part of your social identity, which is the stupidest thing, right? That's like part of my social identity is I take hammer and nails and I put nails in my head. Like, what kind of social identity is that? But but it's also, you see it on the other side too. And it's not all about, it becomes not about getting anything done. It's not about, you know, you should just be picking pragmatic things that actually work to fix things. That's, that's it. And this identity stuff, I think on both sides, you know, makes people worthless. It makes them, it makes them not do anything of use. Right. And, uh, and society needs people to do things of use, needs people to actively vote for things that help people and not, to help people who already have power and money. Uh, and so, you know, that's a big rant, but yeah, that's, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's important to tell these kind of stories and, and talk about these ideas because it does start conversations. And hopefully, like you said earlier, somebody reads this cool comic with great art and the next time they're confronted with a situation, maybe they think back to, Hey, I've read a story about that. It made me think, and now I have formed my own opinions. Uh, but was that, how much of a challenge was that in writing this book to make sure that you gave us an entertaining story? Cause it is, there's a lot of action and, and there's humor uh, and uh, Cornhouse art is, is fantastic and suits the kind of the tone of the story uh, really, really well. But these ideas are, are there. So how much of a challenge was it to, to find that right balance between entertainment and also having something to say? I mean, I, I guess I've been doing this long enough that I kind of feel like I know that, like I, I can feel it in the back of my head, like it's like spider sense. Like if I've been going too long, there hasn't been something sexy or scary or funny. I'm not doing it right. <laughs> so I can, and it's maybe that's just <laughs> I don't know. That might just be me, but I can kind of feel it, you know. So if I if I'm kind of going into something where I'm playing too heavily into the metaphor and is no longer entertaining, uh, I'll know. I <laughs> I can feel it, and I will I will adjust to sort of make it. You know, I just kind of like every three pages, there's got to be sexy, funny or scary or all three, I hope. Right. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I approach it. Um, but, you know, and also I think when you're doing comics, one of the things that really helps is in the back of your head. And I used to draw comics, so I, I think I have a pretty good sense of this is I got to give the artist something fun to draw. So if, if it's just sort of like, you know, I'm up my own ass here, I know that it won't be fun for Corin to draw. So. So now I'm like, okay, I got to give her something that's like epic and has scale and fun. And, and so that helps a lot in comics, <laughs> knowing that you have to like keep an artist from falling asleep at the table. 
Yeah, no, she is listed. Uh, Corin is listed as as co-creator. So did she? Uh, she came on the project pretty early. Did did you actually talk story with her? Uh, obviously, uh, she probably was heavily involved with character design. Can you talk a little bit about the the collaboration? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pitch that I I did um, for AfterShock, and I drew the some initial character designs to go with it. But then they said they wanted to work with uh, with her, and I was I, I saw her samples, and I thought she was perfect. Um, so I just let her redesign the characters, basically. Like she used some elements of mine, but I just kind of let her do her thing, which I found is kind of, uh, it's good for me because then I'm not sort of worried if the design suck, you know, because of me, it's, they've been fixed by someone better than me, right. but at least I can get the idea out. So, um, yeah, she, you know, she did all the design work and, uh, I'm always happy to share with the artists. It's, it's an option like for Aftershock, you know, you can sort of keep the rights to yourself. If you're the initial person who pitched it, um, and the other person, you know, would be brought in as sort of a work for hire. Like that's the contract they would have. But um, I always make sure that the artists own, you know, their share. It's, that's just a no brainer for me. So. And then once you, um, so once you, she came on the project, uh, was there anything about kind of her style or what she likes to draw or anything that where you kind of shifted the story um, or, you know, change things organically to say, Hey, this suits her style better or just tone wise. Well, she just, yes, she, the main one being is that uh, she loves to draw sexy stuff. She loves to draw sexy dudes and she would always make Chip, in my head, Chip looks like my grandpa, like when my grandpa was younger. Right. Uh, who He's, you know, good looking guy, but he's not like sexy. He's not, he doesn't have like big arms and all the shit. And so <laughs> the character kind of changed a little bit because she would always draw him kind of a hot dude. Uh, right. She couldn't help it. Like she just couldn't help it. <laughs> just, like, Artists do that. Dudes do the same thing. They just think you fall in love with the character and you start making them, you know, you just kind of start doing more attractive stuff with them. But, um, but it kind of just informed in my head a little bit more about the character. And it kind of helped me do when we, you know, do the World War II thing. It's like, now I kind of get him a little bit better. Like he has this sort of, he does have a sort of appeal. As, you know, he's kind of an attractive person in a different way, maybe than I was originally thinking. But, um, but, and also I think her, the character of um, Camille, who initially was sort of a, like a throwaway. Uh, she only appeared in like one issue. Like the response to her was so huge that I kind of had to keep her around. And so, you know, she makes it through the rest of the story. And then when I'm working on the next uh, Dark Red Storm, I'm like, I have to bring her back because everybody loved her. And that's a lot to Corinne's uh, uh, presentation of, of that character. Yeah, she, I'm surprised to hear that she wasn't a bigger part of the story because, yeah, she's great. She's a, she's almost uh, the opposite side of the coin of, uh, of Chip in a lot of ways. Yeah. What she exactly. believes. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's great. Uh, how fun was it to incorporate the story of your, uh, of your grandfather, his World War II uh, experience? That must have been great to see uh, come to life. Yeah, and I finished it um, and was able to show it to him just before he died. So he didn't fully understand it. He, he died at 96. He lived a very full life amazing guy. Um, but I told him, you know, I interviewed him for the story and I wrote down, uh, you know, I had these sort of binders and recordings of, of the story he told me. And I told him I was going to put it into a comic and, uh, and then he just kind of didn't understand what I meant. And then I showed it to him and he was like, wait, I'm a vampire. He just did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I was very proud to be able to show that to him and, and have him know that I appreciated, you know, everything he did and him being in my life and, uh, you know, and, and me getting to spend that much time with him. I mean, I'm 40, 
uh, four and I, you know, only lost my grandfather a year and a half ago. So for me getting to live that much of my life with him, uh, you know, I felt like I really owed it to him, uh, to do something, you know, right. <laughs> he, I've done other things. He, he, his name is Vlad. So, uh, Vlad and hack slash is named after my grandpa. And, um, you know, so there was lots of sort of, he's always been a huge influence on me as a storyteller and as a, as a person too. That's great. So in, in a way you did make him a immortal, like a vampire, right? Like the story. Yeah. And there was probably some wish fulfillment there. Like I wish he would never go away. You know, I, right. I wish he would be around forever. Uh, Cause he's, he's such a great dude. One of the finest people I've ever met in my life. So. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I do, I do want to give you a, chance, a little bit of a chance to talk about some other things you're working on. But, uh, but one last thing about uh, Dark Red here, and I guess this sort of goes back to you yourself saying, you know, it's, it's, we got to put these ideas out there so maybe people will think back to, to them and the situations depending on where they are. But the fact that we don't, you don't have the answers, I don't have the answers. Maybe if we were smarter guys, we would, but I think these are complicated questions. But one thing that you did with the series, the way you, you started volume one, with sort of this metaphor, like right out there in front, like rural America being on the fringes, these, you know, trucks go rolling by and it's, it's almost like the world passing you by that sort of thing. And then in the end, Chip ends up deciding to go back to this, that same, that same place. He goes back to the same town and you finish with the kind of those same uh, narrative passages. So talk a little bit about deciding to end it, you know, on that same tone. But I, I feel like even though you've ended it that way, Chip is that much wiser and has, has learned some lessons. He, he has evolved. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I also, I think he has to be, you know, he, he can make a new choice, but he can't change who he is. So yeah. I think, you know, and, and maybe <laughs> that's all we can ask of, of, of Americans. Like, I think, you know, you are what you are. You, you were sort of formed this way and culture is this way, but, you know, you can make a new decision based on new information. That's kind of, if the metaphor is there, it's, it's Chip makes a, a better choice for other people. Uh, and, you know, I, that's all I would ask of people. I, I'm not asking you to rewrite your life I, or change everything or, or expect that you, you know, that you shouldn't have traditions and you shouldn't have things that you want to hold on to and that you shouldn't have culture of, of American small towns that you appreciate. You should. But I also think the key would be you know, making new choices with new information, such as it is not minorities and migrants screwing you. It's not. Right. It is. <laughs> and that is proven. That is a fact. That is not an opinion. You know, and so it's something I think you just have to hope that people could could accept. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, would you ever go back? Do you think that there's still some stories you could tell with, with Chip and with this metaphor? Yeah, I wrote one. So yes, <laughs> there is more. We're just, it's just getting everybody on the same um, page for time and everything. So uh, yeah, I have more, I have a new sort of setting direction that I can go with it. Um, you know, I love the stuff. I, I would love to do more with it and it's sold well enough for us to do more. The, the hard part is just, uh, you know, Corinne is really in demand. She's very popular. Uh, so that's been a, that's been, you know, having to wait just a little bit so she can finish up her other commitments. So, uh, yeah, definitely all about doing more with it. I would love to, uh, I'd love to do it every month if I could. So, you know, we'll see if we can line that up. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the the reception because I, I certainly heard 
um, when it dropped that uh, a lot of people really loved it. I mean, people like vampire stories and uh, yeah, the, the, the politics were there, but they didn't hit you over the head and it was certainly entertaining and action packed and fun um, and really cool ideas. Like I, I think probably my favorite, my, probably my favorite, well, in the first volume, my favorite is the way they escape the factory. That's just inspired. And then my, my favorite thing about the second volume is the, uh, the vampire hunter character that you came up with. He was, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun. Uh, so talk a little bit uh, about the reception. Was it received? Do you think people kind of, uh, you know, picked up on the ideas that you were hoping they would? Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't get any complaints about it. Sometimes people yell at me, you know, for, for, you know, my opinions or whatever, but this was not one of those things. I think even people, you know, even people sort of who may be of a different political side, but understood how it was presenting rural places as being sort of victimizing some of the, you know, the being victim, the, the places that have been victimized and then it turns against those people, the plants are closed and, and like just some empathy, I think. Right. I think people understood that I, I understood that. Um, yeah, it, it went over really well. It's one of those books where the only people I ever really hear from about it are like other writers. I don't know if that's ever good, but like, <laughs> I guess, but uh, it's one of those books, like I'll hear from like screenwriters who are like, oh, that was a great comic. Like, oh, cool. Or like, it, it, I don't, you know, I'll sign a lot of books and stuff and they don't, people don't talk to me about it as much as just like, I hear from other writers about it. So uh, maybe it's just people who come from the same influences and they saw the, those things in there. But um, yeah, it, it definitely went over well. It sells well. We're doing a hardcover version of the first two together. Um, we've got, yeah, you got yeah, so. Yeah, you got to come back and do like a special Halloween uh edition of issue one as well right yeah that's that's really cool so all right everybody so 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 that's your homework right if you listen to this and you you haven't read dark red go read it if you have make sure you reach out to tim on on social media and tell him what you thought of it so he doesn't just have to hear from screenwriters he can hear from uh, some (laughs) of us some of us fans as well uh but as we're winding up here here tim uh you've got a bunch of other projects going on why don't you uh tell us what else is is going uh is going on right now and and what we, we should be looking for on the stands from you Sure. Yeah, I got lots going on. Um, I have, let's see, what is announced? I have to make sure I know what's announced. Okay, we have Money Shot ongoing. Uh, the f- first issue of the new arc just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so that's uh, is it from Bolt Comics. I also have um, Vampire. Give us a quick, give us a quick pitch. What's Money Shot? Uh, well, Money Shot is a uh, is basically a, a scientists fund their travel, their studies with porn. Uh, so <laughs> sort of like Star Trek with uh, OnlyFans. That's basically the 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 short pitch comedic i wear, i write it with uh the comedian sarah Beatty, who you may know from twitter as nacho sarah um let's see it's drawn by caroline lee lane and yeah it's, and kurt michael russell does the art it's uh, the color art it's uh, quite popular and uh surprises people i think and very um, irre- very irreverent in a very fun, hilarious way yeah yes and uh then i'm also doing with sarah um superman versus lobo at dc uh, and then I'm doing by myself, um, King Shark, that uh, features the standout character from the new Suicide Squad movie. Um, let's see, what else am I looking at? Uh, Vampire the Masquerade, which I mentioned a little bit, that's also from Vault, based on the um, famous role playing game. Um, and I think, is that it? I, I think. Oh, I just had, I did a book at Marvel. I did um, call a book called Marvel Double Action, which is. Uh, ties into their Heroes Reborn event, and it's I, I wrote it with, and it was drawn by uh, Dan Jurgen, so it's real cool. Yeah, and that book you want to talk about 
sort of capturing the the era, right? Like that red, like a early eighties, like right around 1982, 83 Marvel comic, Dan's art captured that era perfectly. The color work, like everything, like you, that, that felt to me like your homage to that era of comics. It was so fun. Yeah. Uh, Cause when I was a kid and I grew up in the eighties, but um, the comics that you would get at uh, garage sales or, uh, at uh, you know thrift shops would always be seventies comics, and yeah. so uh, that stuff was very fresh to me. And I, I used to in the eighties, I used to read Marvel Team Up, which was a reprint of the seventies. Uh, it was more. It was called was it called Marvel Tales? Marvel Tales. It was Marvel, Marvel Tales. Tales yeah. So that stuff is very much part of my DNA, um, even if it's a little bit before my time. So, uh, yeah, I actually I I suggested Dan, and and he was. So excited to do it because he loved uh, Defenders and stuff. So it's really fun for him to do Nighthawk. Yeah. And the other thing about this Heroes Reborn event that, uh, that Jason Aaron has been running is it's this idea that this world has existed for a whole, for a very, very long time, this alternate reality of Marvel. And so you even do get to do callbacks to, you know, past stories with these version of the characters. But And there's even editor's notes for issues that don't even actually exist. Yeah. yeah it was, that was uh, my favorite stuff to do. I love that kind of stuff that, sort of adding you know a lot of uh, uh context and history that you just get to sort of build it and and you know my probably my favorite line i wrote in that issue is the next issue blurb which says um you know uh the Octo- octavius uh runs for senate and it was like you know mr octopus goes to washington whatever yeah. it just yeah. <laughs> so yeah i had fun with it of course Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you, Tim, as always. Uh, great great to see you virtually, even if we haven't, you know, been at a con in, in quite a while to see each other and, and say hi. Um, but I, I mentioned following you and reaching out on, on Twitter. To, if any fans want to, any readers of Dark Red, you know, reach out and let Tim know what you think. Where's the where's the best place? What's your Twitter handle? Anywhere else online that's a good place to uh, to keep keep track and follow your work? Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Hacking Tim Seeley. And on Instagram, I'm at Tim Seeley, uh, S-E-E-L-E-Y. And uh, I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google me, you can find me. I'm also pretty good about getting back to people. So, uh, yeah, hit me up anytime. Love to hear what you think. Fantastic. And I'll put links to uh, Tim's Twitter and uh, the Instagram and the social media, everybody. So you can go and check it out. I'm also going to put a link to the, the Aftershock website. They have a great website if you've never been there. Uh, they are my favorite publisher right now. They've been killing it on all their books this year. If you listen to the comic stores, you know that because we've been talking about just about every series they put out. So I'm going to put a link uh, to the Aftershock page for the Dark Red series too. So you can go and check it out there and you can even order the trade through the website. So uh, again, Tim, it was great. Thanks so much for uh, this quick chat about uh, Dark Red. And obviously I'll remind you, doors always open anytime you want to uh, signal boost something, my man. Come right, in. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Good to see you, Jason. Yep, you too. So uh, to you listeners, uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource, 
Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.